Welcome to the Robcast. If you dig this, subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash robshow. Follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash robshowtv. And keep up to date with all things Rob Show on social, The Rob Show, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And now for your listening pleasure, today's Robcast. Joining me in studio, you can hear his radio show, The Bonfire, Monday through Thursdays at 6 p.m. on Sirius XM Channel 95. That's Comedy Central Radio, yes, right? Yes, indeed. You can hear his podcast, Legion of Skanks, Mondays at 9.30 on the Gas Digital Network. His Netflix special, he's part of the Degenerates on Netflix. Go check that out. Welcome, Big J. How are you, man? I'm good. So let's start out, man. You're from Philadelphia, right? Is that where you started stand-up? Yeah. I you... started in Philadelphia. All black comedy clubs. Well, you dropped out of... Uh, what was it? Camden County Community College, That's right? right? So I grew up in Atlantic City. We didn't have Camden County. We had Atlantic County Community College. Same thing, I'm sure. It was high school for I was college. Thirteenth grade. Yeah, that's exactly what it was, man. It was going and seeing all the people. They were like, "Well, they're not going to go anywhere in life, so we'll all go to community college." That's what I went for a month, and then I started doing comedy. And I was like, "Yeah, I might as well give this a shot. I could always go back to thirteenth grade. Yeah. It's always going to be there." So when did you realize you were funny? At what point in your life? Because I mean, to drop out of community college, somebody forced you to go to community college, right? your mom no no for it just seemed, sort of seemed like that was the path okay. i didn't really know like, like going into entertainment you know not that we live too far from new york or anything like that where there's like you know a world of opportunity i guess in philadelphia you just kind of thought like i thought i was just a fan of comedy and yeah. that i would go to college and just do what my mom and stepfather do which is like allied health good jobs you know it's like good money and everything but it's two-year degree and it's, it was always just kind of like shooting for like the easiest path of least resistance yeah. you know what i mean i'm like i'll just do that and make money and then you figure like work for the weekends or you know go va- take a vacation once a year and i just kind of saw myself doing that and then a friend suggested that i try it and i did and fell in love with it immediately at what point does it take off for you from philadelphia because you start doing you're doing only black rooms in philly yeah and we started going to new york and doing all the black rooms and through the black rooms i met keith robinson who was a great comic and mentored me uh, Kevin Hart and Kurt Metzger and kind of brought us out of Philadelphia together Yeah, and brought us up to New York for a while. So he was kind of showing us around the ropes there. Now, do you start right away in black rooms or do you like, I mean, when you first start doing comedy, your first open mic is in a black room. All black room. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And are you nervous at all when you start doing those? Yeah. You, yeah. I chickened out the first couple times completely. Like I just went there and signed up. And then when they were like, you're next, I was like, no, that's yeah. okay. <laughs> like you can just give it to the next guy. And then when there was a, uh, and then I went, like, in the fifth week I went back and, like, or actually the fourth week that I went back, they called my name from the stage and I still went, no. And from the audience, and they were like, come on. And the crowd started being, like, encouraging. And I was like, no, no, no. thank you. <laughs> I just don't, you know, I can't do it. And then the next week I went on, finally the fifth week I went on. And it went well. Then it didn't go well for some time after that. But that first one at least gave me the feeling that I could do it. Yeah, the thing is with Florida, if you want to go do urban rooms, because there's not, it's all white people doing comedy sure, in Florida. Sure. You go to Orlando and you start to see some color, but it's you got to go to Atlanta. And like, there's a whole like there's Florida comics that won't go to Atlanta because they go, I can't do urban rooms, man. I, they'll eat me alive. There's a couple of mainstream rooms in Atlanta too, but yeah, I bet the black circuit there is probably probably more booming, more fun, quite honestly. But like hard, I'm yeah. sure. But yeah, I did all the I tried to like steer into doing all of the. 
most like difficult scenarios for myself. Okay. Early in doing that, like yeah. going to like the rooms where they were like, oh, they hate everybody here. And you're like, let's just go try it. I always feel like if they hate everybody and they hate me, like, I guess I just fall in line with every, you know, it's fine. I wouldn't bum me out too much. And I figured that I would, uh, you know, take my L's, but I learned how to kind of like do well, even with pandering a lot of it. You know, like I kind of learned how to do well in those rooms before I got to jump into the mainstream circuit. And then what was funny was having the change again because I came prepared with a, a list of like pandering black comedy club jokes. And then I'm performing in front of white kids, you know, not even white kids. It's like New York. It's like black, white, oh, it's a French, a Lithuanian couple, <laughs> a tourist group from, you know, uh, Florida and everywhere there's people. And I'm going up there in front of this melting pot. And doing like, you know, yo, P, yo, you heard P. Diddy's new song? You know, DJ put that song and trying to like talk about lyrics to the song. And it wasn't even necessarily my sense of humor. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'll be funny about any subject if it makes sense, but start realizing I had to like change my subject matter because. Were you always engaging? Like, because I go, I was listening today on the way down here mm-hmm. um, and I was listening to the crowd work album, the crowd work sessions, and then I listened to live at Webster Hall. Oh, and you. it's engaging. First of all, the way that you open up with zero is zero fucks. That's the name of the band that starts it off. The way that it starts off, it's like, man, this it felt like listening to Kinnison. Like it's it felt like listening to rock and roll comedy from the 80s because it's this loud sound. And then you come out and you're like, all this for a guy to sit here and tell dick jokes. Sit on a stool and tell (laughs) dick jokes. It's so funny that um that band, they called themselves Zero Fucks for that. What it actually was was three members. Uh, I had an amazing opportunity a few years back to uh, go on the road opening for Corn. Yes, which I have a ton of questions and about. Then I, and then when I opened up for them, their support act was a band called Two Cents. And uh, it was so funny how much crazy anxiety I went through before. I, I never had an anxiety issue, I don't think, in my life. I think when I was a kid, I was pretty anxious, but never never physically affected me in any way. <laughs> which is crazy because you open for Corn, and that's. You comedy clubs, you know, 200, 300 people, corn, 100,000 people at a festival. Well, I had the ones where it was like, you know, we, we'd get like 20-some thousand, I guess, nightly. It was the amphitheaters we would do. Wow. But that was the second tour I did with them. It was back-to-back. The first thing was a small, it was called the Ballroom Blitz Tour. So it was just, it was actually venues. It was kind of a good way to get into it. It worked out very good because that was 4,000 people and things like that. Yeah. You know, still bigger than a comedy club. Still also, they're not there for comedy, which is an interesting that's, thing. You know, and that's my question for you because you're going out there. And I mean, it's not like you're going out in front of bare naked ladies. And everybody's like, oh, we'll just laugh and have a good time. They're there for corn. They like they want Jonathan Davis in with the band. And then out comes you to tell them dick jokes. Yeah. Yeah, and all of a sudden they seem like they're like, did a roadie just? Also, they don't know me at all. <laughs> yeah. It's like 2010, you so they're like, like you could fit right in. Yeah. Uh, in 2010, you know, I had like a, a smattering of fans. I'd have been doing it for about 10 years at that point, and uh, or a little over, and like you know, just didn't have a big fan. I, there was social media was pretty new and all stuff yeah. all the time, and it was like uh, it didn't really. Uh, uh, it was interesting, interesting situation. But leading up to it. Like the anxiety, I didn't even realize I just had a bunch of things in life going on. And then just that looming thing getting ready to go. I said yes to it so fast because I was like, of course, I want to do, of course, I want to go on tour with Corn. As it's leading up to it, though, you start getting like that. What if this goes bad? What if they send me home? I wasn't so much worried about bombing. I've bombed before plenty, but it was more like, I'm like, what if they send me, I got to come a tail between the legs. Like they just decided not to have me on this <laughs> yeah. anymore. So I got very worried about that. How long very are you anxious. doing when you're going out and starting with corn to go out and do, how much time do you do before the band? I would do like maybe like six, seven minutes up front. Just out of the guess, I'd go up cold up front, okay. just kind of welcome them to the show. And it's fun. You get that first. The beauty is when I go on stage the first time, even when I did Mayhem Fest, which was the bigger amphitheater festivals, when I did those, when you walk out the first thing of the day, 
the people are pretty amped up that it's getting ready to start. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? So no matter what you do, they kind of go up there. And then I, the second time I go on stage, I would do like six, seven minutes talking with them, just, you know, making fun of people and playing around with them. And that would go okay because that was the uh, – now they're like – they're starting to get that like, all right, when's corn coming up? And then after the support – because I'd, I'd go on before the local opener, then the support act, and then uh, I'd do like 10 to 15 minutes before corn would go on. And it was uh, – and by that time, I, there's some weird thing. Then they felt they did know me and that we were all in this kind of thing together. And then also I'd explain to them very much. I'm like, if you're going to be shitty to me, like just know it's me or a guy building like a drum kit. It's like there's, yeah, no, there's nothing else. Yeah, there's going to just be I'm like, so you should be thrilled that they thought it was a good idea for me to come out here and do this for you. <laughs> but that support act, though, when I went on that tour, I, I by the time I left for that tour, I was taking medication for anxiety and all kinds of shit. And then, uh, but this band, Two Cents, I mean, like, after the first night that I did with them in North Carolina of the tour, those guys just embraced me. And brought, and I just felt like I had, like, lifelong buddies on this thing in the now, matter of, like, a week. Now, are you riding, like, on the tour bus with the bands, or do no, you, like, uh, you have so, to follow in your Honda Civic? Like, how's it work? No, no, luckily, luckily, no. No, I was on, the first tour was uh, Jägermeister Music Tour was the pro- producers of it. And so I was on the Jägermeister bus. So it was me. It was actually a beautiful tour bus situation. If you've ever been on a tour bus yeah. before, it was me and three other guys. And that was it. The whole tour. So it was, And it was the guys who worked for Jaeger who were good dudes. Fun, but they also went to sleep earlier than me every night. So I would just go in the back lounge. Really? I brought my Xbox and I would just play video games. So I would think it would be the other way around because if they're working for Jaeger, I think that they'd like want to party and stuff. But that's like the wrong Well, they do. But the thing dream. is they also have to get up at like 7 a.m. when they get to the venue and like, like scout it out, start yeah. setting things up. And then when I went on the Mayhem Fest, I was on the... I was on a production bus also, so it was me and a bunch of guys. So it's funny. It's almost like it's a very crowded bus, but it was almost like my own because the hours that I was functioning was not the hours. Nobody else was around, yeah. Those guys would be asleep before I got back on the bus at the end of the night. I'd be, you know, dicking around with the fans and everybody after the show or or the bands that were around the younger bands even because Mayhem Fest is like a 14-band tour. So when you go on tour with Corn and you guys are going city to city, to city how long are you gone for both tours? You said they were back-to-back. So yeah. you're gone for like It was what, three months with about – three months with like a week and a half in between. I was wow. home. And it was great, though. It was what an experience, man. To get it as a comic to be able to do that, not the most rewarding comedically because it wasn't like there was no time on those shows, especially when it got to the amphitheaters where you're like, I'm going to try this new bit out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you couldn't be like, I'm going to go work one out tonight and see if they like this new thing. It was like I would talk to the crowd because I can do that off the cuff, and then I was like, if that wasn't getting them or if I had their attention, then I'd be like, tell them a, a planned joke, kind of do like a longer piece. But it was it was it was definitely a scary. But also just the fact is to be done my comedy at the end of the night, go drink free Jaeger, smoke a bunch of weed, and then sit in the soundboard and watch everything from I did the one year. It was Corn, Rob Zombie, wow. Five Finger Death Punch, and Lamb of God was the main acts on main stage that year. And my major set was on main stage. My my longest set was on main stage always. And, uh, and then the next year I did it, it was Slipknot, Anthrax, Slayer, and you're still going out Motorhead. there. Motorhead. Yeah, man, that's cool. That means, so you're it. getting to meet all these dudes and hang yeah. see them backstage at least. It's a cool world I was able to fall into with however it happened because now I, I've also get invited every year. I didn't do it this last year, but the Ship Rocked, which is like a heavy metal cruise ship yes. they do every year. So I've always done like comedy on that or my podcast. Which I've always wondered, uh, when you go and do those cruises, did you do the Impractical Jokers one before? Yeah. So when you go and do that, it's cool. For, like, the first day, because it's like, hey, but then, like, on day five, when you're seeing the same guys at the buffet, doesn't it get tired and, like, fans Sure. Enough? 
Absolutely. It's not so much the fan. The fans are, are great. That's fun. You know what I mean? To meet all the fans, what it really comes down to is just hanging out. You don't want to hang out. You're not making new, brand new, like, lifelong friends in this thing, so you kind of hang out with your core of people. The heavy metal cruise ships, my core of people are my buddy Ralph, who I do my podcast with. I bring my chick. and so, But it's just, like, essentially the three of us. And now I know more people through doing it so many times, this cruise ship. So now it's getting a little bit better, but it's always like uh, the comedy cruise is like Impractical Jokers is better because it was 10 close friends, you know what I mean, on that boat. So we had nonstop fun on that one. Yeah, but when it's just you and two other people and you're... Yeah, Yeah, and and everything else is like, you know, and then exactly, it's like you feel... So people see the comedy show and then you're a somebody on the boat and then you try to go up and be like, hey, Corey Taylor. And he's like... Uh, not, you know, what do you want an autograph? And you're like, <laughs> no, like I'm also here. I'm yeah, performing. I'm performing too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is Big J Okerson. You can hear his radio show, The Bonfire, Monday through Thursdays, 6 p.m. on Sirius XM 95. The podcast, Legion of Skanks, Mondays at 9.30 on the Gas Digital Network. And the Netflix special, The Degenerates, you can watch it now. He's on the first season. You're the first episode. Yeah. Right? They started off, and it's you right away. Episode one, yeah, that's a big deal. So you start off in Philly. You move to New York. What year do you really start? start going on the road and comedy is your full-time gig i made comedy my full-time gig pretty quick <laughs> like <clears throat> i'd say within the first two years i wasn't working any other jobs anymore that said it wasn't because i was making a killing in money it yeah. was just like i made like enough to get by you know i could hustle up a couple hundred dollars a week and do you do that in philly or do you move and, uh, to new york to so in philly i was making very little money and uh but interesting thing about the black circuit, though, of comedy, I will say, gives you much more of an opportunity to make money out of the gates really? than it does in mainstream. Well, because in mainstream, even now, I mean, I've been doing comedy 20 years now, and if I do a spot on a weekday at the Comedy Cellar even, you know, America's premier comedy club now, mm-hmm. the Comedy Cellar, it's 30 bucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. only 30 bucks. Yeah, and the weekend's like 100 or 100-something dollars for the same job, which is nice because you can— do four or five You can shows. bounce around, and you that's can bounce around in New York. Yeah, and that's, and that's how I survived doing that for a long time. I'd do like seven or eight shows a night wow. in the weekends. So you can get like, you know, 700, 800 bucks yeah. a night on the weekend. And I survived like that for a long before I was going on the road. But that took, uh, it took some time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I was, Who took I, you on I, the road the first broke. time? Was it a tell? First time ever? Yeah. Who took me on the road the first time ever? I'm trying to think. Probably... It may have been Keith Robinson, actually, brought me on the road, as far as, like, going into, like, a weekend gig. And then Patrice O'Neill and me became buddies, and he kind of looked out for me a little bit in the beginning. And then, when I, and I learned, me and Patrice, you know, one of my dearest friends and one of my biggest mentors, for sure, before he uh, passed away, like, not even so much traveling on the road with him, like, or financial help in life, like, just being friends with him, like, the wealth of knowledge and just approach to comedy and, and learning from him. I, was I like, used to was, love was, hearing him on O&A, man. When uh, he was on Opie and Anthony, he made that show so much better. It's like when Norton's on there. It's just yeah. it's so much better. He was better. so amazing. And then uh, and then David Tell, when I found David Tell and his audience, like it just made total sense to me. And I always thought that maybe David Tell brought me on the road. It's funny because we just had our festival this weekend that passed us. Skank Skank Fest. Fest. And which Louis I had C- some questions about. Louis C.K. came, which was quite the yes. controversy. But but that said, it was funny. We were talking. It actually stung a little bit. But we were talking in, like, one of the green rooms, me and him. And we, I was asking him some questions about some, a few things. And he goes, yeah, well, you know, he goes, I, I believe, like, people. How long have you been doing comedy for now? I was like, almost 20 years. He goes, yeah, like, the first 10 years, like, you don't know what the hell you're doing. You can't figure it out. He goes, everyone's doing something different. You don't find your voice that quick, you yeah. know. Even if you think you do, you, you really don't. He's like, 10 years in, you still sounded like, he goes, you just sounded like Dave Attell the whole time. And I, <laughs> I was like, 
okay. <laughs> now it's funny. I got that was like the dig on me for when I was like younger in comedy a bunch, which maybe was true. But I always thought was interesting about Dave Attell, man. What a uh, just a great guy and smart and whatever. When I started getting that a bunch, and I just started working the comedy cellar. I went up to him one night, and I just remember saying to him, like, I was like, dude, do me a favor. Can you – I didn't know him very well. I just was. I just admired the shit out of him. But we knew – he knew who I was yeah. at least, you know, and, and enough for me to go, hey, Dave, would you watch my set tonight? I go on after you. And, like, I keep getting, like, young – I can't tell if it's jealousy from them because I'm getting work or whatever it is. You don't know. I was like, but it's starting to bug me that everyone just keeps saying you're doing David Teller. I am heavily influenced by you, and I think you're the best, so – Watch me. Let me know if you have any problem with it. And he watched my set. And maybe I worked hard. I so long ago. I don't, maybe I worked hard to not sound like him that set, or or maybe I sounded just like him. I, I saw him like chuckle at best a few times in the hallway. But what I always thought was interesting was when I got off stage. I remember asking him. He didn't answer the question. I asked him. I was like, "What do you think? Is there any problem with that at all?" And he just goes, "Do you want to work with me at this comedy club, like in two weeks or whatever, in oh, Central cool. Jersey?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he just started bringing me on the road with him constantly for the next eight years and basically financially, like, saving my life in that way. And also, but he never answered that question. And I always kind of wondered if he thought, like, maybe, because I see it now. I I see that in other comics now. Not necessarily whether it's me or other comics of, you know, Kevin Hart I've seen. I've seen people who are trying to do, like, Metzger's thing or even Dan Soder, my radio partner's thing. And as you watch that, it's funny to see, like, it's like they'll develop, like, out of it. You know what I mean? So I was like, and I think what Attell did sort of was keep like me close to him so i'd almost be forced to maybe develop like out of it well i heard sarah silverman she was on howard and she mm-hmm. was talking about how she was telling jokes that were her jokes but she hung around Atel so much they were in Atel's voice and mm-hmm. his delivery and it took yeah. somebody pulling her aside and going you got to find yourself and she said same thing it took her years to find herself it's true because how, how infectious to go uh-huh, yeah <laughs> you know make a bunch of Atel and it's, it's the perfect thing for comedy when did you start engaging the audience because you did like was there ever a Big J Okerson that just went out with pre-planned jokes and you just did those? Because every sure. album, like uh, live at Webster Hall, it's not all crowd work, but there's points where you start going with the audience and it's yeah. like, oh shit, let's hear that instead of the other jokes. Like it's cool to watch it and then you go right back into material and before you even know it, you're back into a pre-planned joke that we weren't expecting. That's what I like about crowd work is the way you do it because it's when you do stand up, it's a lot like surfing. When it goes well, it's kind of. Have you ever surfed? Probably not. (laughs) I grew up in Atlantic City. That's all we had, man. So it was that in casinos. When you surf, it's kind of just riding that wave, man. And when listening to you in the crowd work sessions, doing crowd work, it's like watching somebody surf. It's just carving in between. And it's cool to listen to. When did you start engaging them that way? I, um, when I first started, I just had jokes pretty much for the most part. And then some years in, maybe like six, six, seven years in or so, maybe even a little more. A comic offered me a, a chance to do a storytelling. He goes, want to do the storytelling show. And I was like, sure. And he kept, I remember what he kept saying was like, don't, it's just a storytelling show. There's no pressure to be funny. But it was all comics on the show. So I was like, why wouldn't it be like a funny storytelling show? But okay. I was like, well, my stories are all, any story I tell is pretty much going to be funny or I, I wouldn't want to tell it. So I started doing them. And it was the first time I was doing long form. Like that was like, almost, you know, you used to like. How many jokes can you get into a short amount of time? Set up punchline. Set but up this punchline. seems like a, with stories sometimes I, my concern would be more like, you know, everyone's doing like 12, 15 minutes and you're like, of a story? Like how long is the story? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like how much can I pepper up a story? And I went and it was kind of fun to just take a story for like a walk almost and like explain everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm saying, you know, I think this first story I ever told on 
one of those shows was meeting Pink right before she broke and got famous, and we were both in line for a plane. For a plane, I was six months in the comedy, and I got BET's Comic View oh, in cool. Atlanta. No, it, it was because I found out later, obviously, what it was. Because like, why would a six month comic get television? Uh, after the unions were boycotting Comic View because they paid no money, they didn't fly you out, they didn't put you up, and they gave you a hundred and fifty dollar check to do this TV show, which is robber. But six months in the comedy, you're like, I don't care. Bucks. TV, <laughs> yeah, yeah and hundred fifty bucks and money, yeah. I mean, it's gonna All I got to do is get my hotel. And yeah. yeah, so I was like, I jumped at the chance of it. And going to the airport, I was just feeling so pretty great about myself. I was like, well, look at that. Already on TV six months in. That was simple. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember being very cocky uh, in lines, you know, fat, insecure kid for sure. But I see this pretty girl holding a giant, like, pink panther, like she wanted at a carnival type yeah. thing. And a blue bandana on, jeans, jean jacket. It's so funny, I remember that still. All I remember was that it was a pink curl of hair coming out. Of her side of her bandana. Okay. So her name was Alicia. She says, uh, and we were talking. I say, yeah, I'm going to. I started telling her the whole rap. I'm going to Atlanta to do BT's Comic View. You know, no big deal, whatever. <laughs> and she has like, oh my god, she's being very like, that's so cool. That's like really, that's so neat. I love comedy so much. And so what do you live in Atlanta or Philly? She goes, no, I live here, but like I'm going to Atlanta to finish up. I'm actually releasing an album. I'm a I'm a singer and whatever. I go. Okay, and she's like, I'm on LaFace. It was LaFace Records, I remember she said. It's LaFace Records, which at the time, I think LaFace had um, Outcast. It was Outcast and, like, you know, it's Babyface's album label okay. or something like that. I remember it was, like, LaFace Records. I think it was when I got my Columbia House CDs <laughs> at the back of Outcast said yeah, LaFace. So I just, I, I kind of, you throw that as, like, a, like, test her knowledge of what she's even talking about because this just sounds like bullshit to me. She said, yeah, I'm doing my album LaFace Records. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's, like, where Outcast is from. And she goes, oh, yeah, like, Big Boy's actually doing, uh, he's doing one of my tracks with me. And, you know, like, okay. And, like, I was so bragging about being on Comic View, this very achievable thing. Like, yeah. it was a big deal. <laughs> She's telling me this very real thing, and I'm blowing it off like, mm -hmm. Sure, yeah. I'm almost, like, losing interest in talking to her now because I'm like, <laughs> oh, this is more going to be about my awesome thing. I didn't realize you think you have some crazy thing going yeah. on. And we get on the plane. We're both in economy. She's behind me <clears throat> a couple rows. And I remember as I'm getting into my row, I look back and I see her, and she still even gives me like the hey. And she said the words were, she goes, when we're both famous, we can look back and say, remember this time. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be hanging around waiting for you to get famous, I guess. And I do Comic View, which is its own story in itself of the nightmare that was. The show went fine. Shitty jokes, but I mean, like, it went well, but yeah. like just a nightmare of a night. I mean, everything from, like, I think the first hooker I've ever paid for started that day off. <laughs> okay. And, like... In Atlanta? And, yeah, and it ended oh. up staying with, like, a distant... It's my dad's brother, uncle. It's my dad's actual brother, but, like, I'm not even that close with my dad. Yeah, so it's I, like, no, I've so, heard, yeah. yeah. So it's, like, uh, his brother was even more... And he did, like, a comeback to the house. You got to see everybody. And I had a hotel room that I'm paying for, by the way, because, you know, they don't pay yeah. for your hotel room, that I had ice cold in Hotlanta. He's like, oh, we have air conditioning. And I went back to his house. Anyway, long story short, everyone was asleep. No one was excited to see me from his family. His dog ate my food that I brought home to eat. Yeah. And it was like I slept. I got bit by a spider and had an allergic reaction. Did you bang the hooker before you went to the uncle's house? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I did it. And as soon as I got to the hotel, it was my first time ever like staying in a hotel like that. And I was just like, I got to do everything. So what like, did you do? Craigslist? I mean, what year is this? So is I didn't this... think it was Craig. It might have been, it literally might have been yellow pages. Oh, wow. It might have been like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. adult like strippers. Or yeah, 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 yeah. In the room. Oh, that's I remember funny. it was a fat uh, black lady showed up. But, uh, anyway, when I went back home and Comic View didn't 
I'll be honest. It didn't open up the industry for me the way I thought it was going to. <laughs> uh, I'm working, I think, yeah, I'm working late nights at a 7-Eleven overnight shift, and they bring in a little rack that's got a, it says, like, you know, top singles New right CDs, now. yeah. And it was just, uh, and I saw a thing that said pink with the, uh, with the exclamation point. I think because of the exclamation point, for some reason, I just didn't look at it twice for, like, days. Yeah. And then I'm looking at it, and I'm just, like, remembering that thing, and I go, and I grab it and like the cover, if you remember, it's it's even a little hard to tell because the cover is very like, she almost looks masculine when she was like younger. She had a kind of a thing about her, her hair was even shorter than it is yeah, now. Yeah, it's weirdly short. And now, it was more, yeah. and she was actually more like R&B music when she started. And, uh, but it was in the hot news and I looked at it and I was like, I'm working overnights at a 7-Eleven <laughs> her, I'm selling her CD. Have you ever told that story to her or has she ever heard it? So, yeah, my friend Dean Edwards uh, is a comic. He ends up on SNL for a season or two seasons, I guess, in the uh, late 2000s or maybe early, I think late 2000s, actually. He gets on the show for two seasons, and he's heard that story before from yeah. me. And he told her the story, and then he called me one day and left a, so many cell phones ago, unfortunately, but he called and left me a, a voice, I didn't answer, but she has a voicemail with her in the background. Oh, wow. And she uh, said she's very sorry. She believes it, but she doesn't remember anything about that situation <laughs> at all. Like, oh, that's funny. I'm this like, is... we're going to see each other and talk about how famous yeah, we've we'll got. Yeah, we're best friends. Remember, we had the plane ride, economy. This is Big J Okerson. You can hear his radio show, The Bonfire, Monday through Thursdays, 6 p.m., Sirius XM Channel 95, the podcast, Legion of Skanks, Monday at 9.30 on the Gas Digital Network, and he's on the first season of The Degenerates on Netflix. So let me ask you, you did the uh the skank fest this weekend and louie comes out now mm -hmm. you've had you've been on louie's show before so sure, I, you yeah. guys have a relationship is it hard to get him to come out and do it because it's like this weird thing where he can't work now but he should be oh, it's insane and it's uh you know you know it's funny it wasn't very hard uh, they you know the my partners with the festival and everything which is my girlfriend yeah. and, and you know and louis and, and everything and they uh they reached out to me like, you know, maybe like from you it would like mean something I'm like coming from. And not that me and Louie are close at all, but he knows like he's done a lot for me in my career. He put me on that show three times yeah. with no auditions or anything. Just like, here's the part. That's cool. Which is very cool for me. We've He's never been super warm to me, however, but he's just always been good to me. And uh, so I, I emailed him, asked me if he would come do it. He didn't answer, actually. But Joe List is like one of his openers that he uses okay. all that and a yeah. hilarious comic. Yeah, I like Joe. Headlines in his own right a bunch. But he works with Louie a ton, and they are friendly. And I guess he was telling Louie about it. He said Louie was intrigued. And then what really ended up happening a bunch, and Louie told us this, was that they were bumping into people in the streets in New York. So New York, for like the week before Skankfest, a few days before it, it's they're all comedy fans, you know? So they're coming into the city early so they can go to the comedy cellar yeah, one night. And they wanna go, yeah, They want to go to the stand if it's open. You know, they want to like go in and see the shows at the comedy clubs, yeah. too. That's how much they like fiend for comedy. And Louis just said he saw so many people that weekend that were actually going like, you got to come to Skank. Oh, you should come to Skankfest, man. It's such a comedy thing, and it's going to be amazing. And then uh, he said on Friday that on Saturday he was going to swing by, and he did. The video, when you hear the crowd from outside the doors, yeah. the doors are shut. Like, you you get the goosebumps. It's goosebumps. Like, oh, man. Because, look. When, I, I went to the room. It was goosebumps. I went in the room just to watch him come out, and it was Goosebumps is the right word for it, for sure. It was amazing. And and the bummer is, you know, having perspective on stuff. And because, look, you know, I think what Louie did with those chicks is weird. For sure. It's very weird, but like a crime, I don't think. And 
even if it's like a, it's just like he's been punished pl- for the crime he committed. If it is, like I'd say he's been punished plenty. I, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like he had put that TV show. Together. He never blocked anybody. He never forced anyone to do anything. He never he never threatened anyone to do anything. To the best of my knowledge, you know, from everything that's out there, um, I think it's a severe overreaction. But I do hate when this happens every year at Skankfest. Somebody to suit their purpose, like skews something beautiful and so sweet into something so bad. Uh, last year it was. Puerto Rican Luis J. Gomez wearing an American flag cowboy hat right before he sang an off-Broadway show tune from an off-Broadway musical we did called Ha! The Musical about stand-up comedy. He sings a song about being an ethnic comic, which is funny. Before he sings this song, he ironically, in a hillbilly voice, does like a white power like chant, culminating in him going up to a black guy who was in the front row, a fan of ours, and he goes, you know, blah, 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 white power, and he holds the microphone to that to the black guy's face to say it and the black guy just goes no <laughs> and the crowd just explodes and then he sings a song about being an ethnic kind it's ridiculous yeah but someone reports that as just like there was a white power chant going at skank and it's uh. like come on so this year my bummer is when you watch that video all we all we film was the intro for his sake you know we don't want to put Loey under the bus of any material stuff being combed over or nothing we promised him a safe like place to just come have fun and not worry about it so we just show the intro, and it's like, man, if you, I hate the perspective that if you believe he's a rotten rapist, as some people will call him, or, you know, whatever it is, sexual assaulter or something, it looks like a room of, like, you look like a room where it's like, oh my God, it looks like it's a Klan rally or something. Yeah, but it, and it's like, it was such a, a lot, like, it was just comedy yeah. fans, like, oh my God, Louis C. No one's going like, Louis C.K., the pervert masturbator. masturbator yeah. It's just like, they're like, oh man, I, he's his comedy makes me laugh, and we're so excited to see him. Well, it's weird because he gets looped in with guys who have legitimately committed rape, uh, allegedly, or according to the 50 people who came out and said it about Bill Clinton. Well, Bo Cosby's not even a legend. He's guilty. You know, he's thing. found guilty. And you grew up in Philly. That was uh, America's sure. father. He was Philadelphia was his home. Everybody loved him there. Penn. Every he, he's a bummer. I was a huge Cosby Show fan growing up, and it really is like, man, it shows you the guy, the the biggest, loudest mouth of like, why do you have to be dirty in comedy? Uh, judgmental over black people, yep. uh, pull your pants up and and talk right, and I speak English, you know, and all those insulting things. And this guy's fucking. Raping. I'm sorry to curse. No, it's fine. This I'm going to edit that hit. out for the radio. This rape, guy's uh, drugging and, and raping words. And here's the thing. when he So I've done radio a long time. I did it in Philly uh, at YSP, and we were close to getting Cosby on the air. But the morning show I worked for, they were not You, – I know you, you've you done Preston and Steve yeah, before. Yeah. We were the competition. After Howard went off the air, there was a guy that I worked for named Kid Chris. Kid Chris. A really Look, good he's, show. He's in, Chicago, he's in Cincinnati now. Cincinnati now. Has a really good show, but they put him up against Preston Steve, and at that point, Preston Steve had been a juggernaut for like six years in Philly. Yeah. You just nobody could compete with him. And we almost came close to getting Cosby on and we couldn't do it. And I had the contact and I got him on in Cleveland. And this is 2010 when I work in Cleveland. And Cosby's one rule was, I will hang up the phone if you bring up Andrea Kostrand. And that was the one woman, but that was the rule. And it was known through the publicist, through the manager, through the venue, which was like a performance wow. hall where they were like, don't ask about the woman. And then and so then you hear Hannibal come out and go, man, people have been knowing about this forever. And they have. And nobody's – now here's the thing with Louie. He went to Side Splitters in Tampa, sold yeah. out. Sold out oh, yeah. in like minutes. And I went, this guy could go – and that's just one city. He could go anywhere and do this and – and he can't because there's those social justice warriors where they're like, no, if you go and see him, then you support guys masturbating in front of women, which isn't so the case crazy, at all. Man. Also, like so many people, like there's too much politics in every single thing. Now, there is political comedy for sure. But at the end of the day, like, who cares? You know, what I mean, like, it's like you're, you're, you're going by someone's politics 
What does uh, that affect uh, uh, you? What? Because I, you don't look. You're no. I don't mean this in a bad way. You're not politically correct. You get not up even there, sort and, of. <laughs> in any way, and it's fun to listen to. Do you feel a backlash at all now? Is there that pullback with the audience? What I just hate is like, especially in you know most social media is the written word and rewriting back. Uh, you know, listen. If I was like a you know, it's a difference between saying like, "Oh yeah, yeah, dude, I'm a I'm a big Trump supporter," like you know, versus like writing that looks like, "Yes, yes, I'm a big Trump supporter." Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, there's no inflection and tone uh-huh. and everything, and they like to give that kind of thing back to people all the time. And I think that sort of sucks. Is like the social justice warriors are just exactly. It's like if you make a joke that has the word rape in it, in any context. Do you know what I mean? Next thing you know, it's like, well, he's a rape apologist and a ra- and the questions I've been asked have been so insane. But I like to kind of respond to most. I either don't respond now. I've learned to not mix it up too much. I don't respond or I respond with just like continue the absurdity of what they're saying or almost ask them to question themselves. What they're- I remember I did a Parkland, uh, not even a joke about the shooting at all. It was something we were doing our podcasts is what it was. And, uh, and I, I remember the joke I said was that because, you know, he did an interview or, or he made that videotape, the Parkland shooter, that he did it for a, a girl. It was like a girl that he liked, didn't like him back. And he was like, I'm going to show her. And, and he shot up to school. And I said, I was like, hey, you know, man, that is crazy that like as the world mourns, there's like one Puerto Rican girl in Florida going like, did you see what Nathan did for me at this school? <laughs> like she's impressed yeah. by. Yeah. And that's, and, but the thing is, uh, uh, and then a lady wrote like a scathing thing to me, and it was like just I remember the, reading that sentence over and over again. And she just says, "She says you think school shootings are funny?" And I'm like, "Yeah, lady, like I'm the one person. Yeah, like yeah. you found the one human being who thinks school shootings. Like, of course, I have a I have a 16 year old daughter that in goes school. to school. She's it's a part terrifying. of your act. Yeah, I get it. It's terrifying. I, I, I can't even punish her from a cell phone because the way the world is now and the way you have to worry about. I go. It's actually a very terrifying, scary thing. Boy, do you want me to talk about that for on a podcast? <laughs> I, I go, it's, it's, we try to bring light into the darkness yeah. of this stuff. You know, it's like I'm trying to like bring as much levity to this horrible thing as I can. Was this on the bonfire or Legion of Skanks? Where you that was Legion of Skanks. Okay, so I let me that. ask you about the bonfire because you guys, did you start out as a podcast and Sirius approached you, or was it a serious show that started at Sirius? It started at Sirius. It was uh, me and Dan Soder just always had a unique. Kind of weird, like, fr- not friendships, even the wrong word for it. it was a unique, like, chemistry with yeah. each other. Like, we, we didn't hang out away from comedy much, but very quickly upon meeting and hanging out with each other. And I'm I'm longer in comedy than him by several years. So, and I'm older than him, too, by, like, five, five or six years. So, well, we would meet at comedy clubs, though, and, like, pick up right where we left off every day on just nonsense. Uh-huh. Whether it's just doing voices to each other or just talking in oh, characters. for great, It's man. great. But do that for five minutes and just make each other laugh. And it was fun and stupid. And we, that's when he still smoked cigarettes and we would sit outside and smoke and have a good time. And, and my girlfriend just had like a, she really said like a, why don't you guys like do something together? Yeah. Like, you know, do a podcast or something. So Dan had equipment already for that. And I went to his house a couple of times and we just recorded ourselves talking for, we didn't like, we got nine hours total. Like however many times we did it, we had like nine hours on tape. And we just caught it like under the bridge because Dan's place is under the or under the train because it's the train subway okay. that goes right above his house, his apartment. And we just called that when when Sirius heard that we were doing that. I forget who that got into from something. I think maybe it was like Dan's people. Maybe they approached Dan to, to like DJ comedy or something, you know, like, like to, talk up comedy. Yeah. Bits. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Interestingly enough, for sure. Yeah. And they I think they kind of want they want us to. And, 
well, he was like, well, we've been recording like a show, and and they asked Sears was like, well, don't release it, don't release that yet. Let us let us like hear. And we had my manager cut up the nine hours into just like a nice like twelve minute like demo the reel, demo, yeah, of like the funniest stuff we had. And I listened to it, and I was like, this is funny for sure. And we gave it to him, and then you know the visionless dopes that are <laughs> everything at corporate level uh, first wanted us to. They go, okay, they're really funny together. So let's have them do separate shows where they each, like, introduce comedy bits. And then we'll have them, like, you know, cross over with each other yeah, once in a while and get to this yeah, thing. And that's then, not what you were doing. And we go, what? <laughs> and we're like, no, 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 we want to do, like, we don't really want to introduce comedy bits. Like, we were like, let's just talk. Yeah. And we'll just talk and be funny. No, well, all right, well, let's do some test shows. And then they try to divide and conquer by, like, they give, like, soda or a contract on three. Man, it was six, corporate it was, radio, man. They're scummy. It was six episodes, but they can't get between me and Dale. We get, I was like, literally, I thought it was funnier to go... This is the Dan Soder show. That's what they needed to call it. And it was like, a, and we go, it was a special guest. But every but, but every day I'm the special guest yeah. every episode. <laughs> it's just me sitting there That's again funny. and we're just doing the thing together again. Yeah. And we just did it like that for the uh, six episodes. And they saw that they had kind of like the, we were able to get in those six episodes what we needed, like to set the thing. And then an arduous contract process, I'm sure you've dealt with before. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, and we were able to work it out. So, it, that it works and we both just love it man so i mean it's ridiculous that it's work now it's well at the point like back all right so you started back in the early 2000s the way that you would be able to sell comedy besides going like social media was just starting myspace was coming about but local radio was where people would hear what was going on and now it's more of that national like this will sell tickets to the people that listen to my show or that people that know you and happen to listen to my show but your show is what kind of fills the seats. I mean, great. I'm grateful that you came and did this because you're going to sell more tickets by putting it on Sirius and I will from putting it on locally. And that's no, just how cool, the yeah. business has changed. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, or a podcast or anything like that's kind of, you know, you, you they're all national. How long have I mean? you been doing the show for? The Bonfire? Yeah. We've been doing for, we're in our fourth year. So where, like, where have you gone across the country where it's been <laughs> packed and you're like, well, this is weird. Chicago. Chicago. Chicago was my first city where all of the shows were sold out almost before I got there. Wow. Which was amazing. And then, you know, there's reality checks in uh, Huntington, Alabama. That's where I went to. You know, there was some, I don't think we had a crowd bigger than like 60 people to 100 people. Does that frustrate you? Because your show is, it's energy folk like when i when i listen and watch you i feel like it's energy it's you're playing it is, well comedy is but you're playing off of the crowd just as much as you're bringing your jokes and when there's no crowd how do you do that because i mean well even like 60 people though is enough i mean I, that's again that goes back to starting off in those black comedy clubs and those things like i i like that i started comedy in, in positions where your back was like against the wall you know, where there's, you know, you can get cursed out while you're on stage, the crowd turn on you hard, yeah. throw things, all this kind of stuff that went by the time I got to New York and do the mainstream clubs, I remember passing the auditions for these clubs a lot, which they would set up on horrible nights. So it'd be like, you know, 10, 11 people in the audience. And they're like, now go perform for your place here. And uh, I would do well in those because I was like, well, at least they're listening. You know what I mean? I'm like, these people <laughs> yeah. came to enjoy a comedy show. Yeah. I've had to go through people where they're like, everyone stop dancing stop dancing we're gonna start the comedy show now you know it's like it's like you know dj music and guys like grinding on girls butts and yeah. you're like stop dancing. and then you're like and then of course you're like also uh, you know uh talent and uh you know rob stable the, the, the black comics you thought were gonna be here are also not here but they sent along a great comic and 
Yeah. Also, he's white. <laughs> you know, and like, also, and you go out there and just like these situations where they're like, "Oh, you suck." You know, they can't wait to hate you. Yeah. And it's kind of cool going through those, like, builds you up. So it's not frustrating if the crowd's small. The only bummer I just have is like now I just feel the pressure of like the club, like to the owner of the club. You're going like, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like I know you probably had expectations of this thing being line wrapped around the building. My apologies. But I'm not very good at social media, <laughs> and you know, not everybody, you know. Sirius XM is broken up in the places. You know, Chicago is a place I'm going to do. A Philly, I can uh, I can sell out. Boston, I can sell out. It's just the cities. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, last night, I was, like, very pleasantly surprised by what it was like here. Uh, you know, and also, I, you know, I think I said it on stage, too. It's funny. As you could tell. You could, there's, a, there's a fine, or I shouldn't say a fine. There's a very thick line dividing the room between, obviously, my fans and, like, I people said. People who came for dinner. I said people who are on a, a you know, a break from golfing and over 50s <laughs> yeah. doubles, couples tennis. Yeah. Well, get ready for the, the late shows at Off the Hook are fun because I like those. I like late shows, and that's what I, like. Me too. Working radio, it's cool. to. There's another club in town that'll let me go to time. Anytime I want, I'll drop in on a Friday night at mm-hmm. 9.30, and there's 12 people there. And you're like, all right, well, let's just talk to these 12 people and have a good time because here, it's, you know, you send it out there. There's no feedback, man. But, like, when you're live in front of an audience that feedback even if it's 12 people i don't know it just it feels so much fun so oh much yeah fun. no it fuels you too and i said before like uh i don't recall like uh huntsville alabama being like i mean it was a few months ago but i think i left there all i remember is like i felt bad that the audiences were small but the shows like were great, great. the crowds were say, super fun i want i listened to i don't know which one it was the costa rican tranny what, I don't know if it's crowd work. <laughs> yeah, that's crowd work session. The way yeah. you turn, because the crowd turns and they go, oh, because you bring up, the only reason people go to Costa Rica, there's only trannies from Costa Rica. And, and you're talking to a woman and the whole crowd kind of pulls back and turns and you go, oh, do you see that? The whole audience thinks you're a tranny. I'm so sorry for that. <laughs> and you're like, no, you're a beautiful woman. And the way you turn the audience on the audience who has turned on you, I went, oh, that is brilliant, man. It's funny. I hate on, uh, especially on radio, I do it on my own show a bunch too, to give away like uh you know tricks or at all you know it's like telling a magician telling his tricks to some degree but as always if there's anything i just do always do it in life with my girlfriend and stuff because it's just funny or my daughter or when she's with me but turning blame onto clearly what went wrong in my part yep. on them so whenever i say something about especially about a person that you're making up particularly too yeah. you know what i mean you're like making up a thing about them you don't know them at all and the crowd goes like oh and they, when they get weird they're, they're awing me for yeah. sure like what's wrong with you saying that i go i'm just kidding like these people think i'm being so accurate that i'm right <laughs> Yeah. Know, and when I turn on them, I go, I think, sorry, the crowd are a-holes. What are you going to do? They're the you? bad ones. These people look to you and they saw a pedophile. <laughs> I'm making a pedophile joke because you seem like a good guy. And I don't believe pedophiles also spend their times at comedy clubs between abductions. And I go, but this crowd thought I nailed it. Yep, that's so much, dude. And it's, it's so much just fun to turn to them on. To. Yeah, it's fun to just turn them on. Go download them. Uh, listen to them on Spotify because they're on Spotify. The crowd work sessions live at Webster Hall. You can hear the radio show, The Bonfire, Monday through Thursday, 6 p.m. Sirius XM Channel 95. Legion of Skanks, Mondays at 9.30 on the Gas Digital Network. Uh, thank you so much. Big J Okerson. Go me, check man. out the specials. Uh, Big jcomedy.com for everything big j thanks for checking out the robcast if you dug this subscribe to the youtube channel youtube.com slash rob show follow me on twitch twitch.tv slash rob show tv and keep up to date with all things rob show on social the rob show facebook twitter and instagram 